Welcome to The Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesleyan Church. Get it, got it, give it. Here in The Sweat Room, we dive into today's questions about sports and faith. And now, here's your hosts, Noah and Bjorn. Welcome to The Sweat Room, everybody, for our 17th episode. We're so honored that you decided to join us, and we're so excited for what lies ahead. Next week, we're starting our local to global segments, where we'll be featuring local sports ministries that are happening here in western New York. Our church is based out of Buffalo, New York, so we love to feature just some of the things like how God is using sports in Buffalo and how he's using that to excel his kingdom. And then we'll be going there to how is God using sports and and using just his people around the world as well. So we're so, so excited for you to be tuning in for those. Those are ones you do not want to miss out. And we at The Sweat Room just want to say thank you. Thank you to all you listeners who are tuning in, subscribing, rate and reviewing this podcast, getting involved and sharing this message. God is accelerating. And what is amazing is the demographic of this podcast ranges all the way from Western New York to all the way across the country and the globe. It's amazing how God's word can get out and accelerate. So thank you. Thank you to all of you who are involved with this podcast. We couldn't do it without you and share sharing the message of the gospel and how sports and faith go together. And if you haven't already, make sure to check out our Instagram at Watermark Sports as well as our Facebook page, Watermark Sports as well. That's where you can find all sweat room content and stay up to date with the latest things. And if you want to email me personally at ncorsten at watermarkwesleyan.com, that'd be great. I'd love to hear some of your feedback. Maybe you have future guests in mind. I'd love just to get to know some of you and, and just your thoughts on the podcast as well. Well, today we are so honored to bring you guys Rob Aller. Rob Aller is with the Columbus Dispatch in Columbus, Ohio, and he was also a Buckeye. As you Buckeye fans would know, OH, and if some of you said IO, well, I guess that's good. For some, that's disappointing. I don't know. Some of you are Buckeye fans. Maybe some of you aren't. But Rob Aller began his sports writing career typing in bowling scores for the local paper and eventually progressed to typing a few words about the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, college sports, and golf for the Columbus Dispatch, where he's been a columnist since 1997. So he is experienced. Rob grew up in northern Ohio near Cedar Point which is an amusement park and it makes sense since his life has been a lot of a roller coaster ride the ups 30 years of marriage three incredible children blessed by god in so many amazing ways the downs while life comes at you hard including personal heartbreak daily failures and relational challenge rob has dealt with all that and more but he remains standing mostly due to his most vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. Rob was also an athlete. He played all sports and ran track at the Ohio State, and his love for athletics led him to want to write about it. His interview subjects include the GOAT, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, all of which are GOATs, oh my goodness, and pretty much most big-name athletes over the past 25 years. He loves to golf, drink great coffee, watch old movies, and engage in deep discussions about pretty much anything. And he was also my professor at Taylor University in Upland, Indiana. You guys are going to love this conversation. Here is our conversation with Rob Aller. 
Welcome to the podcast, Rob Aller. So to start out, we got to ask the question, you were at the Ohio State, so, and you ran track there. So what was it like to run track at Ohio State? Well, good to be with you guys first. Um, I would say that, first of all, we need, to, we need to talk about this the thing. When I ran there, when I ran there way back in the day, Way back in the day, I would say pre-Butch Reynolds, and you guys don't even know who that is, but he was the world record holder in the 400 meters in the late 80s. Okay. So you guys weren't born yet. That's cool. <laughs> I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're with us now. But uh, yeah, so we didn't call it the then. It was just Ohio State. So yeah. This the thing started in the 90s with. I think 90s when they'd have Monday Night Football and the football guys would come on and they'd gotcha. show what college and they'd say the. So they, they kind of started. It's a, it's a oh, relatively good. new thing. Yeah. So a little history there. That's It hasn't always been that obnoxious and arrogant. <laughs> um, so I ran track in high school. I walked on at Ohio State. Uh, I got good grades, so that made me valuable on the team to the team GPA. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> never, never underestimate that. The, so the grades do help in athletics, even getting on a team as a walk-on. Nice. Um, yeah, and I worked hard. So I eventually became captain uh, my junior year. And uh, I wasn't the fastest, but I was fast enough. Mm. And I am on the record board with Jesse Owens. So that's pretty cool. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I ran a school record on a relay. I was like that. I was maybe the weak link in that relay. What'd you run? I ran a 200 meters, like 22 something. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was, it was actually, it might've been 21, 21, eight, I think. Wow. 21, eight. So, uh, but that's kind of slow by world-class standards. Anyhow, it was, it was pretty neat, and, uh, you know, just a little background. I came from a small, all-white town, and I went to Ohio State and ran track with, you know, the Af- my African-American brothers, and uh, that was like a culture shift for me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you fast-forward to now and Black Lives Matter, and not to get too political, but it's, it's interesting to me to watch it all play out because I was actually sort of – the minority for a couple of years my my junior and senior year on a track team in which I was the only white sprinter Mm, among uh, my black brothers so um, we've had some pretty good discussions on that you know I've kept in touch through the years and uh, so that's kind of a little political slash uh, cultural uh, look at where we are now and where it was back in the day it just kind of gives you a little perspective on on my uh, athletic career um, yeah, and so I was actually writing for the school paper, Sports Editor, the uh, the Lantern, which is the Ohio State school paper. At the same time, I was running track, which you know that had its own interesting uh, uh, conflict because as sports editor, I was a First Amendment guy, and you know I wasn't going to censor what was written, and yet I had as I was also the track captain, so I had a guy uh, who was my sports columnist at the time and he couldn't stand track and he wrote a scathing column about what at the time was the jesse owens classic i think it's still called that uh and it's a big track meet at ohio state and so he kind of made fun of it and so (laughs) i have to go back and face my teammates how could you allow that to happen 
Yes. And I'm like, well, I'm the sports editor on that side. I'm the track captain here. And when I'm in that world, I have to exist, you know, like anybody would in any job you have. You guys, you you have to do the job you do. You you do a podcast, you, you know, for the church. And it's pretty cool. And I'm sure you've run across some stuff that's been challenging and you have to kind of make some decisions and pray about it and see which way you go. Absolutely. uh, So that's, that's a lot of uh, background on on a little. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Where do we go from here, boys? Yeah, no, I love hearing about that. Just your time at Ohio state and sort of some things that you learned at that time and now how you're, you know, practically applying, you know, what you learned and, and still in connection with some of those guys. It's, it's so cool. And so you were a writer, sports writer in college. And now we know that you're doing that now at the Columbus dispatch. So could you tell us a little bit about what a columnist is and how you ended up writing for the dispatch? Yes. So I worked in Springfield, Ohio, the new sun, it was called smaller community paper for about 10 years and then got a job at the dispatch uh, my very first day, my first assignment, I was hired to actually cover high schools, but they had a gap. And uh, so I covered the Cincinnati Reds uh, right out of the gate in the, in way back in 95. Uh, it's been 25 years now. And uh, I had never really covered baseball. So that was a little smoke and mirrors, just relying on instinct and your writing and, and learning as you go. I'm we're, That's what I love about your podcast. It's about learning and then applying and then you know passing it along so uh i was i I kind of experienced all three of those in the course of one summer and uh soon began starting writing features and columns after that i've been writing columns for more than about 20 years and uh the big thing about a column that people may or may not know i find a lot of people don't know is a column slash commentary is an opinion piece so your columnist is not uh, objective necessarily. I mean, you're truthful and you, you supply and report the facts, but you have an opinion on those facts, right? Uh, whether it's standing or kneeling for the national anthem, whether it's, uh, you know, should you, what do you, do you judge someone for not, uh, joining their league because of COVID and mm. sitting out the season. Um, the Olympics, is it commer- overly commercialized? These kind of topics, issue co- topics, or it could be anything about an athlete's performance, which, you know, in, in, in my life as a believer, and I'm sure we'll get to this, it's, it's challenging because if a guy has a bad game or blows the game, you have to make a decision and your responsibility essentially the way I see it is to report it as such and not sugarcoat it, but you don't do it mean in a mean spirited way. Although I've crossed that line, I'm human. So a, a columnist writes commentary, opinion, a beat writer, which most people would see as beat writers. They actually are the boots on the ground uh, for a team, whether it's Ohio state football or where you guys are the bills uh, the beat writers are day to day reporting on uh, news, you know, waiver wire, the draft, whatever it may be, the day to day goings on. And the columnist kind of comes in. The beat writers and columnists have sort of this sometimes contentious relationship. 
because mm. the columnists will come in and sort of we, we say we parachute in and we strafe mm. we just we kind of come in on their beat which they know it and they're uh better connected usually than the columnists and the columnist kind of weighs in <laughs> so when people get mad at columnists i've had many emails that says how dare you share your opinion you're not supposed to you know you're supposed to be objective and i write them back well i'm actually not i get paid to share my opinion that's what a columnist is and usually a columnist you'll their pictures in the paper not yeah. always but they have their mug above the column and the beat writer doesn't so it's a changing world in journalism, but the columnist once was the superstar of the sports section and probably still is uh, acclaimed, more acclaimed, but in the world of online, it all sort of kind of gets jumbled together mm. into one. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I just can't help but think of, you know, like a Stephen A. Smith who, um, you know, works for ESPN and, you know, he's always sharing his opinion, no matter how drastic it is, how right he is or how wrong he is. And he's just doing that. And I'm sure, you know, he gets paid to do that, to have these crazy opinions and to be firm in them and to, you know, maybe cause drama on, on air with what he says. And so it's, it's interesting to see, maybe there is some of that shift of like, all right, you know, now, you know, maybe what once was is not anymore. We're going to, you know, maybe go more towards opinion or whatever. So that that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And Stephen Smith, Stephen A or screaming A as we like to call him. Right? <laughs> he, uh, I knew him a little bit and he's kind of a mild manner. You know, he was the columnist. A lot of these guys, or maybe most of these guys actually worked for newspapers first and were columnists and then went to TV. And, and mm. Stephen is sort of a mild mannered, low key guy. So he kind of had to turn it on. And I'd be curious whether his persona has become who he is. These guys sort of become their character. Yeah. And mm. I'm wondering if he's changed. But from, from my uh, connections, which were very, very small with him, and from <laughs> people I've talked to, uh, he was just kind of a normal dude. I mean, no more opinionated than anybody else. So, you know, you're right. The ratings game, and, you know, it's creeping into websites and newspapers now because it's about clicks and that type of thing, which, it, you know, people used to say, well, you're just trying to sell papers, which is never really, never really true because the paper was more than just a sports section. But today, uh, with the web, it really is kind of starting to move toward page views, almost a rating situation. I'm not a real big fan of that, but that's where we're headed. Yeah. So another quick question for you is like a question I've always had when I listen to Stephen A or these other analysts that I, you know, watch on TV and they have these big opinions. I'm always curious is do they truly believe these opinions that they are reporting or are they just maybe magnifying something for the story for show? And you say, you know, Stephen A is maybe more mild, in person in a normal day-to-day -day life than he is on air. So then that makes me believe like, okay, is what he reporting, is that truly what he believes or is it just kind of, you know, for entertainment? And so I guess, do you have maybe an opinion on that is do people that, you know, write columns or share opinions, is it like, is it actually what they believe or is it more of this is an opinion out there. I, as the columnist writer may or may not believe this, but here is an opinion that I will back and give, you know, facts for. Yeah, it's across the board. I would say I don't. I think it's individualistic, um, depending on the person. I tend to be more moderate, uh, kind of down the middle person. I'm not uh, 
too far one way or the other. So it can be challenging to kind of work up that strong opinion. So my thing is I take it, if I have a small little opinion on it, I think about it and I just take a stand and write it that way. Uh, TV's a different animal. Again, it's ratings, and I, I can't believe that Stephen A. is that opinionated on all those topics. I mean, it would be impossible to be that. So there's a lot of bluster. It works. It's his shtick. You've got, uh, you know, you've got many out there like that. I, but you know, I have found some bombastic guys that are just their personality is that they see things black and white, and they'll just go like a dog with a bone if they have that opinion. They just will not let go. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, I, I think it's up to I think it's the individual, but you know, not to throw my electronic media brethren under the bus, but they have to kind of work it up a little bit, foam with the mouth more than the print guys do. The print guys are typically a little more balanced. Right. So you've been in the business for a while now. So for you, what are the character? What separates a good writer from a bad from a bad one? What makes somebody stick out? Well, that's a great question. Um, I'm kind of a believer that it's kind of like with athletics. There's some genetics here. And uh, it'd be great to think that, you know, you could work yourself from not know, knowing how to put two words together into becoming this Pulitzer Prize winner. And I'm sure that happens in some situations. And this may go against the green, but I kind of, I kind of believe you have it or you don't. Mm. a little bit um that's not to say you can't improve we can always improve again get it gotta give it uh we can we can work uh toward the betterment of ourselves and others um but take put that aside in terms of the natural ability and i would say you have to write who you are again you can't fake it uh especially as a columnist you can't be something you're not be true to yourself, be comfortable in your own skin, have thick skin. Columnists have to have thick skin because they're going to get a lot of pushback. Uh, find your voice. What does that mean? That means the way you write, write it. I mean, yeah, you've got to be yourself. You know, I had Noah in a class, and uh, he, he was very enthusiastic <laughs> and was very much a fan and was very much a fan. I was I remember trying damn. to beat it out of beat it out of him and all the students that it's hard to be a fan as a sports writer because you see how the sausage is made, so to speak. You see behind the curtain at the who who these guys really are. You know, again, when the TV when the red light comes on the camera and they're on TV, they're all smiles and happy. And then when the TV goes off and you see a different side of them sometimes, not always, including Christians. I've seen guys, I'm not going to name names, but I have seen Christian believers, big-time athletes, you guys would know the names, who when the curtain is closed and no one's looking, they're not quite what they seem to be. Mm. We're all hypocrites. We're all hypocrites, right? We all, we all have double standards, but uh, I would not hold them up. I would not really hold anybody up, you know, sort of in an idolatry type of, of way. Um, so be true to yourself when you write. Learn the basics. I'm a big thing. I always use Picasso, you know, the painter Picasso as an example when I'm, when I'm teaching students, which is, you know, he's kind of known for these, you know, depending on your perspective, weird kind of uh, cubism shapes. Uh, they don't even look like humans. They're just kind of blocky. Well, he started out as a very trained, uh, standard 
painter and then moved on to that. So mm. as any writer, any aspiring writer, you've got to get the grammar down, the spelling down, the, the system down, and then you go from there and you can expand from there. That said, uh, real quickly, the game has changed and that, you know, I kind of came up in a, in a uh, investigative, very objective uh, era of sports writing and journalism in, in general. I go all the way back to the Watergate, a little post-Watergate era. And, wow. and then there's a guy named Bill Simmons, who I don't know if you've heard of. He kind of came along and changed everything to fan journalism, conversational, where he was a fan of a team and he kind of wrote it as a fan. And okay. that is kind of, and that has kind of become, I wouldn't say the standard, but that is definitely more of what you see these days, especially among younger writers. So I'm not saying it's good or bad. I don't prefer it, but it may be where we're headed. It's kind of where we are now. And I'm not sure readers, I'm not sure bothers readers. They love, I mean, Bill Simmons kind of changed everything. So yeah. Well, I know when I, when I read, you know, articles online or in the paper or wherever, about maybe we'll say the Buffalo Bills. You know, that's our hometown team here. I love the Bills. I love to read positive, you know, energetic, those kind of articles. Like, yeah, we've got a lot of optimism for the future. And, you know, sometimes if I read an article that is maybe more truth of saying these are, you know, these are the realistic expectations. Right. Sometimes I get sad and I'm like, ah, oh, no, like I want to think Super Bowl. And do I think that we can win a Super Bowl? Like, I do. I really do. But is that realistic? I don't know. I think maybe we got to get to the AFC Championship game first before we can start thinking about winning a Super Bowl. And so, as a fan, sometimes I like to hear what I want to hear. And I think maybe that's a little bit of how things have changed. Would you say Absolutely. So? Yeah. Isn't that where we are with everything? Yeah. It's political. Uh -huh. and we've become polarized. We want to hear what we want to hear. You know, I, I, I taught a class a couple of years ago and I had everyone raise their hands. Like, where do you get your news? I think it was uh, in Cincinnati uh, or Cincinnati based. And where do you get your news about the Bengals? And the most hands went up for the actual Bengals own website. So that would be crazy when I came up. Like, it's because they want positive. You know, there's some insider stuff, too, because the team kind of feeds the, the Bengals writer for that site, Bengals.com or whatever it is. But uh, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I will say that, you know, with the Patriots going into free fall, the Bills got a little better shot. So, you know, you, you do. may get <laughs> there. Yeah. The door's so open. You just got to walk through it. That's right. Right. Half the, half the, uh, half the Patriots are – going to sit out this season it looks yeah. like so mm -hmm. good for the bills <laughs> yeah so another question you talked about this a little bit um about you know approaching players and coaches what is it like to approach a player or a coach after a win versus after a loss well <laughs> uh, yeah i'll start with the win Usually it depends because it, there is, they're very happy. Of course, you know, I hate the question, talk about it, or, uh, you just won the Super Bowl. Are you happy? Well, you know, come on. Uh, I, I hope so. Uh, so those are, those are questions to avoid TV camera questions. Um, after a win guys are usually more talkable, right? They, they want to talk more. Sometimes guys, depending if they have the chip on their shoulder, you never know. You never know what motivates a team, a coach, a player. Sometimes they will they will 
tee off on whoever's interviewing them a little bit. You know, Richard Sherman, perfect example, right? Richard Sherman, he might say, uh, you guys didn't believe us. You know, you all, everyone doubted us. I mean, even the, you know, even the Patriots say that. Uh, they're winning all these Super Bowls, and yet they'll say, or LeBron James, uh, nobody believed I was any good. What? Everyone knows you're good, but they'll use that as motivation. So sometimes they'll come with that after a win. A lot of times um, they'll just, you know, it's, again, personality-driven. Some guys will boast. Some guys will just stay, you know, be very humble. Mm. The tougher thing is when a guy, was when a guy loses. And uh, I've had gone into lock rooms and I remember walking up to a Cleveland Brown player once after a tough loss and he was just bent over at his locker stall in a white towel oh, draped over his head. I only know who it was because the name on the locker, but I needed to talk to him because it was just, he usually was a good talker, as we say in the business. <laughs> and I walked up to him and I said, You got a minute? Because that's what you always do. Yeah, you hope you you know, uh, you got a second probably wasn't a minute in this situation you got a second and he just you can see the towel just shaking no he says go away so (laughs) you know you got a 300 you got a 320 pound lineman who shakes his head kind of points the door and says leave i left you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna press the issue now if it's the new york media this this is another thing there is different kind of cultures in regional media if it's a new york writer uh, he might try to get into it with him. It might be a little more contentious. It's just kind of the way it works in New York. They're, they're a little more pushy or Philly. Yeah, uh, whereas the Midwest is definitely more kind of low-key. I can't speak to really California too much and West Coast, but different areas, different metropolitan uh, zones are different. But, uh, you know, I've talked to golfers, after they've blown up and had bad, you know, bad rounds, you know, covering the PGA tour, which I do some of. Does one stick out? Well, yeah. I mean, Tiger's not real fun after he doesn't (laughs) play well, but these guys are, you know, these guys are professionals too. And the longer they've been around, it depends who they are. I mean, the, the really good guys stick in there and I'll talk. And the best example of that is, is baseball. When a you know a starting pitcher or a reliever, let's say there's a blown save where the starter has a terrible outing, uh, if they're there after the game to to face the music and answer questions, the respect factor goes up among among the media for that person. Mm. Like they, that's part of the job. That's that's you know it's to we're kind of the mouthpiece. We're the liaison, the media between the athlete and the reader. We're not always seen that way, but. Um, and I think the best athletes understand that. They understand that they have a responsibility to the paying customer. And the way to uh, best articulate that is through the media. So that's, that's kind of how it works, good and bad. Uh, I've, had, I've blown some things. Uh, you know, my Jim Furyk story, I always tell he's a golfer, an older golfer. That we have things called pass keys. And a pass key is how do you – it's an icebreaker. How do you get into a conversation with the guy? Well, years ago when I was more green as a writer, <laughs> I was doing a story on groupies on the PGA Tour, and which groupies being 
females who kind of hang around and hope to kind of latch on to a millionaire husband. We'll put it that way. <laughs> I was I was tipped off that Jim Furyk's wife was had he'd met her at a tournament. Wow. Well, I didn't have the facts straight because the guy that told me kind of had them wrong. I, I should have double checked. So I approached Jim Furyk in the clubhouse to do my interview, and I said, "Jim, I'm doing a story on golf groupies." And I understand you basically I understand your wife was one of them. <laughs> and he did not appreciate that. <laughs> and I can't, I can't blame him. So that was a bad pass key. And the way that worked is he kind of looked at me and said, I think I might be offended by that question. <laughs> he, so he took off up. Yeah. He took off up the steps and came back down a couple minutes later. My jaw was still on the floor for what I, the idiocy that I had done there. And he comes back and he says two things. She's not a groupie. I don't know where you got that. And two, she's not my wife. Oops. They were not married. Oh, they, no. were, they were together, but they weren't married. So I called him, you know, to me, that's a, that's a fairly minor mistake, but it's still inaccurate. And then he was great. And so sometimes guys just need to blow off steam and then they're fine. Mm -hmm. And you'll find that some people just can't help but talk. Like they don't want to talk. But again, the personality, they're, they're kind of a sanguine personality, and they just start talking, and they can't help themselves. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's because they like to hear themselves talk or what it is, but I love those those people. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Those are home totally. runs for you. <laughs> those are home runs. Those are home runs. So that's there's a little insight into how not to do it. Totally. So for, for our listeners, I, I would love you – you were my professor at Taylor, which is a Christian school – so I would love for people just to know a little of your faith story, a little of your faith background, and what's it like to be a follower of Jesus in your line of work? Yeah, great. Well, my faith story, you know, it involves a girl. It always comes back to a girl, right? Oh, man. There's, all, there's, always, a, there's always a connection. So oh, uh, without getting too specific, I had dated someone uh, a couple years in high school, all through college. And, um, and was not a believer. I did have seeds sown, Christian seeds sown uh, during my track days. Uh, when I was a sophomore and freshman, the two upperclassmen were, were Christians and they kind of shared uh, their story, their testimony, their faith with me. And I wasn't ready at that time. I, was, you know, I, was, I wanted to be a wild college student. So there's a, there's a great, just a great lesson of planting seeds. Sometimes you don't see it till years later. Mm. Um, God does the work, obviously. And so uh, anyhow, I dated this girl, and a month before the wedding, she dumped me. Wow. Oh, no. Yeah, a month before, after five and a half years of dating. Wow. So, And I never saw it coming. I was blindsided. I should have seen it coming. I was a clueless college guy, right? I think I was 23 uh, or just out of college. So that night, basically, I still remember Labor Day, uh, 1985, I went to my knees and I had just enough knowledge about God to sort of cry out. Uh, I got nowhere else to turn. I was way too, too dependent on this on this girl. Uh, kind of was just living day to day, figuring, well, we'll get married, have a family, blah, blah, blah. I really maybe didn't work at it as hard as I should have. But I reached out to God and... Uh, it wasn't a quick fix. You know, some people, it's like the instantaneous. So, you know, uh, it took me about a year. I was still going to bars. Um, 
my language did clean up immediately. I'll say that. It was like, it was like a miracle. And got into a Bible study with some coworkers. And uh, it kind of went from there. And uh, so that was great. That's kind of the, the, the Cliff Notes version there. Yeah. So I didn't really have much of a faith background. It was the good person thing. You know, well, you know, on the on the scales of good and bad, I'm I'm better than I'm not, so I'm going to heaven. I hope that was kind of it. Sure. And uh, I was so clueless about the Bible that I knew what the Bible was. Um, but when I started to read the New Testament, I read Matthew, and I started to read Mark, and I thought like I had a typo misprinted Bible because it was the same story. <laughs> like when you grow up, you hear like, you know, Jesus birth and the whole Christmas story. And I thought that was just like one spot, one place. And then it moves on. So I got to Matthew and I'm reading again about Jesus birth. I'm like, I already read this. <laughs> or when I got to Mark, yeah. So, and then it's again, you know, it's in Luke. So it was just, uh, ah, that's, that's just to kind of tell on myself how little I knew about the Bible. And then, uh, you know, 35 uh, four, nearly 40 years later, you know, I've been an elder at the church and uh, lead men's Bible studies and, and that whole thing. So I've come a long way in the business. I think you asked, what's it like to be a Christian in yeah. this business? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. I would, one of the things I really recommend for people because it's easier in the long run. And I'm not, re- I didn't really do a great job with this. So do as I say, not as I do a little bit. Is <laughs> come right out of the gate, letting people know where you stand. Mm. Uh, I think the tendency is with man pleasing and fear, and you know, especially cancel culture now is to kind of keep your faith to yourself and kind of work it in and convince yourself that, oh, just by your behavior and modeling it, you know, people would know where you are and that'll impact people. And I think there's a lot of, there is truth in that. There is truth. If you're just sort of a joyful person in a world today where there's not a lot of joy, mm. you'll make, you'll, they'll spot that. And I think they spot that with me somewhat. I can be a little critical nature. So I always have to fight that, the negativism. And that kind of could be a media thing, a columnist thing. You know, mm. again, like Stephen A becomes his character. You become more negative, the more columns you write. I don't know. But um, people know where I stand. Uh, and the good thing is it doesn't really change. This may sound counterintuitive, but it doesn't really change the way they interact with me, uh, which I like. I think that uh, the way I did, and I didn't come out thumping people with the Bible. I'm more relational. Hmm. I'm more, you know, I, I, people, a lot of people are still at the get it stage, right? They haven't mm-hmm. got it yet. So, you know, I'm trying to give it and just have conversations, salt, you know, salted conversations not salty <laughs> salted <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what, what does that mean could you break that down for us yeah, thirst, well you know everybody's everybody's thirsty for truth i think deep down we're created uh, you know we're created as children of god no matter who you are and so there's a deep yearning in the spirit uh to to know god and even those who are pushing against that it's still there so you just try to have conversations that are balanced, that are loving. Uh, one of the most challenging things is not to get into foolish arguments. You know, there's, there's all kinds of uh, Bible verses on that from Proverbs. 
and 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 New Testament of don't engage in foolish conversation. Mm. You know, I think humility is a big thing. Not thinking you have it have it all down. Um, you know, we never, yeah, we we got it, but do we ever really have it? We're always learning. We're always absolutely, uh, or we can learn. The minute we think we the minute we come become non-teachable or unteachable, that's a bad place to be. Mm, so true. So I think, yeah. So I just think. Uh, again, I've been treated not as the Christian guy, the Bible thumper. I've been treated as, as an equal. And that's a challenge because the guys who do sort of put their faith out there, uh, and I think that's great. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it um, or, or you know, witnessing all the time. They kind of get, I don't know if ostracized is the word, but they're kind of avoided as kind of weirdos. So there's the question, you know, I mean, Jesus was a weirdo, right? He was strange, but he also went in and, and you know, and had uh, supped, as they say, with the sinners, mm-hmm. uh, with the, you know, and uh, so that's what I try to be. I try to not to be, be in a little Christian bubble. Um, are you going to do it perfectly? No, I'm going to slide over into the world's going to impact me, uh, even as I impact the world. So to say that this is a bunch of, you know, to throw a bunch of Christianese out there and that it's easy. No, it's not easy. It's a daily thing where you've got to really kind of, you know, put on the armor of God to use my Christianese a little bit and, you know, and, and prepare for battle because every day is a battle. And uh, yeah, so that's a yeah. long answer to it, to it pretty basic question no that that's so good and and i love because I, I think i hear what i hear you're saying is you know when you are with people when you're in your line of work whatever you're doing as a christian you know we need to come you know with grace and truth and finding the balance between those true and you know i hear you said you talk about how relationship for you is so important well i see that sort of the grace side of things and that's what we should come at first is you know relationship showing grace showing that we love them but then we also need to follow that up with truth. And, you know, that's what I hear you're saying that you're doing is, you know, they know who you are. They know what you believe. And if they want to ask you about it, then they can. Or if they don't want to, then, you know, that's fine. If you get an opportunity to share with your coworkers or if you get an opportunity to share through your column and you feel comfortable doing that, then great, you do that. But I think that's the hardest right. thing that I know if I found for myself is, finding that balance between grace and truth because both are so important, but every single one of us are wired to approach people either more with, with more grace than truth or with more truth than grace. And that's where it becomes, you know, kind of difficult. If you're just preaching at somebody all the time, but you don't have a relationship, that's a lot of truth and not a whole lot of grace. And that's going to be hard for people to receive that. But if you're just loving somebody as they are all the time, but they don't know that you're a Christian. You never say anything about that. And they don't know who God is. And that's a whole lot of grace and not a whole lot of truth to back up that. So I, I love that. Cause I think finding that balance for each and every one of us is different. And it's so important to acknowledge that. And that's why I love what you said is you do things one way in the way that you share your love with others and communicate that you are a Christian. This is the number one priority in your life and other people in the business do it differently. And that's okay because they're different people. Absolutely. You know, and, and if you need a biblical basis for it, uh, I always love the, you know, the woman who's about to be stoned Mm. and, uh, and she's being judged. And Jesus says to her after, after he writes in the leans over and writes in the, in the dirt, they all scatter 
and uh, she wonders where they went. But he asks her, where have they gone? Um, they're no longer judging her. And he says, neither do I judge you. Now go and sin no more. So there it is. That's kind of the combo. The Lord himself saying, man, you are forgiven. You are loved. Uh, you're not condemned here. But you got, there's an expectation to live a certain kind of life and to try. And I'm your, you know, I am your Lord and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll help you along in this, but you've got to bend the knee. Mm, mm. That's so good. So we've got one final question for you. And this is something we've asked. Um, we got another guy on our podcast, some of their thoughts. And this is a conversation that I like for myself to be continuing to wrestle with this um, because I love sports. And talking to you, you love sports, you write about sports, is does God care about sports? Wow, that's a biggie. Uh, I would put it this way, that God cares about sports, not who wins or loses, but he cares, he uses sports as, as an instrument to teach and to reveal character. I'm a big believer in that sports doesn't necessarily uh, create character or build character. I think it does somewhat, but I, it reveals character. Mm. It reveals it in how you respond to winning and losing of how you, you know, love the, love the guy on the other, on the other sideline. Uh, and you know, it's like anything else you get in the midst of the heat of battle and, and things you're not necessarily doing things the Christian way always. But I think he loves the process of sports and what it can do, like any job, right? I mean, it's sort of like there's a lot of elements in there. To, you know, hey, run the race as hard as you can. Paul talks about that, right? Uh, and run it to win. So, you know, you don't winning, – winning is important just because it, it has to do with effort and mm -hmm. doing your best, yeah. not so much superiority. That's right. I mean, that's a fine line there. And, and I think culture and societies just mix that up and mess that up. And as a columnist, I've messed it up. You know, you're with, there's winners and there's what's, you know, what's the opposite of a winner loser, <laughs> right? And think about, think about it. Loser. Like it's not just somebody who didn't win. It's a loser. Second place. You're a loser. So that maybe God's trying to teach us something there. Right. And I, you know, the COVID, this break, even though it's bad for me personally, with job security potentially if there's no sports, and for a lot of people missing their sports, maybe maybe we can reset during this. Maybe we can look at that it, it really is how you play the game, the cliche, not whether you win or lose, but how you play the game. I think, it's in, I think the outcome is important, as I just said, but how you play the game is important too. And – Again, that almost looks, sounds so surfy today with sportsmanship and that type of thing. But I think that's what God is interested in. And so, yeah, I think God cares about sports, like he cares about gardening, like he cares about bird watching, right? And it's just how you go about doing it. Mm. Absolutely. That's so good. Well, thank you so much, Rob, for being with us today and for sure. sharing the insight. And for those listening, uh, when we ask a question like that, we're not telling you that this is the right answer and that Rob has everything down. We just want to give you some tools and some thoughts to wrestle with a question like this for yourself. 
and to ultimately seek truth and to read scripture and ask your friends, maybe ask your coach if you play sports, what they think, and just start the discussion about, you know, does God care about sports or maybe does God care about other things in your life? And find for yourself what that answer is. So thank you, Rob, for sharing your insight on that. Um, I know Noah and I really appreciate that. And just to finish out here, how can people find you, your work uh, online or things like that? Well, okay. It's commercial time. Dispatch. Yeah, here we dot, go. <laughs> dispatch, dispatch.com is our main site. There's something called BuckeyeExtra.com, which is just a, the Ohio State University. The. Uh, yeah, sports. <laughs> uh, I'm at RollerCD, R-O-L-L-E-R-C-D is my Twitter. Uh, I don't do a lot with Instagram. Not, uh, not huge on Facebook, but Twitter's kind of part of the job these days. So, that's how you can get a hold of me. And uh, my, my final thought, you triggered something when you talked about does God care about sports? I think he cares about the people that play sports. Mm. That's the thing, uh, as he that. does again. It's all about the people, and he cares individually about you, both of you guys and everybody out there and me, and that's really what it is. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you, Rob. And just to finish up, a little fun story that I remember just from class is you took us to Ohio State for a spring game. And you told us, you specifically told our class, don't fan out, just ask questions. So we go down the tunnel, we see Ezekiel Elliott going up, and I'm with one of my buddies, I'm like, that's Zeke. And then we eventually get up to Justin Fields, who is the quarterback right now, and he's he was up for the Heisman. And I remember I was interviewing him, and I'm like, don't, don't fangirl, don't, don't do it, don't do it. And I totally gave him a high five after the interview. So I thought I liked it. So, yeah, so I, yeah, but thanks so much for joining us, Rob. I yeah, you, you were you were fanboy number one, if I remember. <laughs> yeah, even, it was great. So I love yeah, it. it was fantastic. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate this uh, opportunity. Thanks, Rob. Thank appreciate you. Thanks, Rob, so much for being with us today. That was awesome. So, Noah, what were some of your reflecting points on that interview that we just had with Rob? Yeah, for me, Bjorn, I think what I really took away from this interview with Rob was just how he is being salt and light within his line of work. I think for him, he can't have a straight opinion of what he is doing. So for him, he really has to be the salt and light in what he's doing. But yeah, I, I think that was my favorite thing and, and not being a Bible thumper as well. I think it's easy for us as believers to just smack the Bible over people. And, and that's not what we need to do. We're, we're called to love others and love them well. Um, so I, I just really enjoyed that. So it, it was great to getting together with Rob again, just talking to him outside the classroom. He was my sports and sports journalism professor at Taylor. So it was a lot of fun just to talk to him within this podcast and just hearing even stories of him with even with the Browns in Ohio State. It was so much fun having him on. Bjorn, what were some of your thoughts? Yeah, no, I love the conversation. I thought I found it fascinating talking to him about being a Christian in the sports writing business where you're in a business where you don't explicitly write about God and you aren't supposed to explicitly write about God and how can he still be a Christian in that line of work and how can he, you know, how can he portray God's love for everyone through his writing? And sometimes that's very hard because it's not sort of an easy process, but he talked about how just, you know, with other writers, with people he knows, um, 
you know, that he can still be the, the salt and light, like you said, like in, in those scenarios and, and, you know, being weary and conscious of the idea that how you write and what you write about can change who you are Hmm. and, you know, being aware of that and trying to be, you know, who you are and who God has created you to be. And he talked about Stephen A, about how, you know, Stephen A used to be very mild tempered, um, you know, pretty stoic guy where now we all know that that's not any words that people use to describe Stephen A as he's a, you know, screaming A. He's screaming, he's yelling, he's screaming he's getting your face, he's passionate, um, which, which is awesome. And you know, that I love how passionate Stephen A is about his opinions. Um, but you know, he said, I wonder what Stephen A is like outside of the studio now and how has, you know, doing that for a living now and, portraying himself to be that and to communicate in that way, how has that affected who he is outside of the studio? Uh, and that's so important for everyone in whatever area of life you're in. And that's just what I really reflected from this is that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, like do it for the glory of God. Even if that's not explicitly saying God loves you and re- reciting Bible verses to them and doing that, like you can be love by just being who you are. You can be loved by being a sports writer, even if you don't write about God. You can be loved by being a teacher, even if you're not explicitly allowed to share God's love verbally to your classroom. You can be God's love by serving as a mailman, by doing that. Whatever you do, you can do it out of love. And that's really what I took from Rob. And I I love how he's been on that journey of really exploring what that looks like for him. And we're all on that journey. I know for me, I'm still on that journey of figuring out what it looks like to be a coach and coach for God's glory and not my own. So that was some of my takeaways from Rob today. Thanks so much, Rob. Next week, everybody, you don't want to miss out as we're starting our local to global segment featuring Russ Kingsbury. Russ is with Youth Advantage out here in Buffalo, New York, and he has touched thousands of kids' lives. Here is an excerpt of our interview with Russ. Buffalo special because of family. I think most of us are here, not everyone, but most of us are here because... We grew up here. Our family's here. People that we love are here. Mm. We always, if you if you talk to Buffalonians, we criticize the, we criticize the weather. We complain about the weather. We whine about that. We whine about taxes in New York State. We whine about all kinds of things. We complain about Buffalo, but the truth is that we're here because of family. And you know, it's it's one of those places where you can feel family beyond your immediate family. And remember, in the sweat room, we get it, got it, give it. Thanks for listening to The Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesleyan Church. 